Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. When Christ walked the dusty paths of this earth, there was much conflict and suffering. Sadly, the very lands in which he labored are still rocked by human agony. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, is here to talk about the ongoing struggle that's now filling our world. Lincoln, the time is yours. Well, your introduction made perfect sense since I've just come back from about a week in in Israel and then uh, nearly a week, about four or five days in Turkey on the way back. Mm -hmm. And that part of the world, indeed, is is at the crossroads of great power rivalry and seems to be feeding into other conflicts. And it was no different while we were there. Just a few days before, there'd been some bloodshed on the Temple Mount. The day before we went to Bethlehem, American tourists were stabbed. I think they died, actually. But it was good the day we went. And then after a few days in Israel, I took my family uh, on the way back for an extended visit in uh, Istanbul. My wife had always wanted to see the Great Bazaar, the Grand Bazaar. But while we were there, second day there, suddenly our guide and our driver were transfixed and fixated on the TV, and I looked, and here's a Russian jet going down in flames. And the Turkish government had shot down a Russian jet. I mean, I've grown up during the Cold War, and and I can't remember anything as blatant as that. And uh, I thought we were going to be stuck in Turkey, to be honest because it appears not to have been a mistake. There were street protests in Ankara and other places saying that Turkey should challenge Russia even more. So uh, it just reminded me that this part of the world, as our guide in Israel said, the crossroads of the world, Mm -hmm. everything transacts that area and, 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 and all the great powers, not just because of oil, the trade routes. Turkey itself is the split between Asia and Europe. The Bosphorus, the waterway there, up to the Black Sea, passes right through Turkey. And quite literally, the uh, eastern half of Turkey is Asia, and you cross a bridge, and you're in Europe. Mm -hmm. That's right. So when you saw that coming down, and you knew what uh, that might mean, did you as an historian make any connections between that present action to past actions? Well, the first one I made, and I think once before on this program I mentioned, while most people have some little knowledge of World Wars One and Two, and at least people as old as me remember the Vietnam War. I don't remember, but I know of the Korean War. But very few people seem to remember or know anything about the Crimean War, which was the last great power war before World War One. It was a war that took place between 1853 and 1856. I thought about this recently because in some ways what happened in Turkey... It's shades of the Crimean War. Hmm. Explain that. The Crimean War was Russia taking on Turkey. Okay. The cause of that war was a fight over who would defend the Christian minorities in the Holy Land, Hmm. which at that time was controlled by the Ottoman Turkish Empire. Hmm. And uh, Russia wanted to defend the uh, Christians in behalf of the Eastern Orthodox. And then uh, Turkey was joined. uh, You know, the great powers often just align because... There's a common enemy, not because they have much in common. And France and England, France as a Catholic country and England as a Protestant country, both joined with Turkey to fight off 
holy Russia. <laughs> and uh, R- Russia did lose. But as has been said by historians, that war shaped most of Eastern Europe. Yes. I mean, countries were formed and shaped in ways that are still present because of that war. It was a very bloody, protracted war. I'm seeing a pattern here, Lincoln, and you've talked about this before, that so many of the conflicts of this world and of history have religious liberty undertones. Am I right? Often religious liberty, but nearly always a religious ideology Ideology. is connected to it. Right, exactly. And at the very least, we did a program, I think, earlier this year, the very least, as in World War One, which was not a religious war, once the war broke out, religious themes and, and, and identities were encouraged to justify and enable the carnage. Well, as you were walking around Constantinople, as you were enjoying the sights and sounds there, what else came about that sort of grabbed your attention like it's never grabbed it before? You know, I've been to Rome a few times and probably won't go again, but I've, I've had my uh, fill of that very historic city. And, of course, today, for most people, Rome is St. Peter's, the big uh, cathedral that is ancient when you talk about American civilization, but really not ancient compared to most of the rest of the old world. Like the St. Peter's, it's worth remembering if people that never knew, it was built exactly at the same time as Martin Luther's move toward the Reformation. In fact, Remember, Martin Luther's initial objection was the selling of indulgences. Right, right. The reason they were selling indulgences was to raise funds to build St. Peter's. And indulgences, of course, for those who may not know that, explain what an indulgence is. Well, an indulgence is tied up to uh, what the Bible speaks about, a corrupt Christian entity that makes high claims and, and exalts itself to heaven. And the Christian church that became exemplified by Rome believed that it had the power to forgive sins, or since they developed the idea of purgatory, which is not a biblical view, that the church could sell you in an indulgence that would shorten your time in purgatory. Okay. Like for $100, you could miss 100 years of, say, of your, of your punishment in purgatory, or for 1,000, maybe go straight to heaven, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Martin Luther, I think, theologically dealt with it. It was an imaginary uh, and assumed power. But what I'm building to is very few people realize the history of Rome and its devolution as a political power and how it turned into uh, the Roman Catholic power. They don't realize that even before the Pope of Rome had emerged as the absolutely dominant religious and political leader in Rome, the empire itself had moved. I think it was somewhere around the year 250, 300, but certainly about three centuries after Christ, Constantine, the Emperor Constantine made an incredible decision to move the capital of the Roman Empire from Rome to what is now Constantinople. He began to build that that massive city there on this divide between Europe and Asia. He began a church that was later finished under another emperor, but within about 100 years of Constantine's establishing the city, they had built what was then the largest church in Christendom. Hmm. It was the main Christian church. It was called the Hagia Sophia. You know, if you time it out, that's a a church that's about 1,600 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is an ancient church, but it's still there. It's a magnificent structure, massive. I can't say how much bigger or smaller it is than than St. Peter's. I, I think it probably gives way a little bit, but the effect is not of something smaller. It's immense. 
when the Turks took over some hundreds of years later, when Rome finally fell and, and Islam took it over, they converted it to a mosque. But today it's a museum. Yes. Turkey is a majority Islamic society, but because of the modern Turkish state being established by a leader called Kemal Ataturk, a general, he mandated the secularization of the country, and so Islam is not supported or not incorporated in any way into the government. So it's a secularist government. And uh, that government has turned it into a museum. It's not a place of worship. They've removed some of the uh, overlay of Islam, so some of the mosaics and stuff are visible. And it's obvious this was a fantastically impressive church of Christendom. Way before Rome had begun to emerge as, as anything more than a wannabe down in, in you know, the Roman Catholic Church mm-hmm. down in Rome. Well, Lincoln, when you stand in a place like that, and, and when you are looking up at those mosaics and, and whatnot, what is that telling you about today's present situation as far as the church is concerned, as far as tolerance is concerned? We have, we have a church-slash-mosque-slash-museum. Is that a direction that we're heading a lot in this world? Well, it's the direction where we've been. I think there's been a lot of secularization and uh, modern desecration, if you like, of ancient worship. But uh, no, I think we're headed to a world that is defined by religious allegiances. Hmm. But back to the Hagia Sophia and its status at that time as the big church in Christendom. It was a little bit after when it was built that the playing field changed a bit when the Roman Catholic Church interceded also with the city state of Venice, interceded and redirected one of the Crusades. I think it was the Fourth Crusade. To Instead of going to the Holy Land, they went to Constantinople, Istanbul, and uh, pillaged the city, actually uh, took the city hostage. And that functioned as bringing down the Eastern Church to size and enabled the predominance of the Roman Catholic Church based in Rome. And as recently as as about 10 years ago, Rome issued a document called Memory and Reconciliation, where, among other apologies, they apologized for the sake of Constantinople, Mm -hmm. because it was really an internecine religious war between one aspect of Christianity and the other. When we look back at history like this, in in the closing moments of our show here, we have about two minutes. When we look back on history, how do we recognize, Lincoln, when we as a people, when we as a nation are following in those same footsteps? How do we know when we're doing that? Well, things are not easily self-perceived because we judge things by looking at those around us and point of comparison is so close at hand. But like I've said often before, and I think earlier in this same program, if there's force involved, if there's some coercion involved, if, say, in the United States, this Christian nation concept gathers such a point that we're told now as as Americans to honor God, and of course every country should have respect for God, if we're told that you must worship in a certain way or on a certain day, you know right away that this is opposed to the principles of religious liberty. Can't be coercion. And we do individually need to just resist groupthink. Because an awful lot of history has resulted, you know, the bad things of history have resulted from sort of mass, not always hysteria, but but mass actions where people don't question what their peers are shouting or encouraging them towards. And, you know, bad things, even little bad but hugely immoral things like the United States uh, interning all of the Japanese without any cause, just paranoia. And with religion, paranoia develops easy. 
And in the war on terrorism, we might find that we're tempted to restrict the religious liberty of any number of marginal religious groups because we sort of syllogistically say, well, you know, here they were extremists of one religion, thereby you're, you're an extremist, say, a Protestant or whatever, therefore you're equally as dangerous. And that sort of thing will not lead well to continued religious liberty. I think you're talking about refugees here? I could be. <laughs> well, but that is a political thing, and I think it's a humane and charitable thing for the U.S. would be to work to create a climate where those people can go back. Mm-hmm. Like, just to bring a whole country here might seem good, but you haven't solved the problem. The U.S. and other nations would do a great favor to create a receptive climate in the country where the people come from. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your thoughts. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. (music) 